going to be looking at verses 43 through 45. If you've been with us, you know that we're at a, a point in Luke's gospel where he's uh, writing for us about the Sermon on the Plain. This is a, a sermon that Jesus gave shortly after calling out the twelve from the many who were following him, and then uh, with the twelve and with those many other disciples, uh, he is now surrounded, Luke tells us, by a great multitude. And so uh, there are believers there, there are unbelievers there, and yet we know that this sermon is directed at those believers, at his disciples. And if you've been with us, you know that he's, he's walking now through a series of illustrations of parables uh, to help his listener understand the point he's making. And the point is in the context of uh, loving our enemies, uh, not judging, but judging. <laughs> it's a passage that some will just kind of pick apart. It's, it's kind of become a, a cultural mantra that we're not supposed to judge because Jesus says judge not, but he says it in the context of helping us to understand how we are to rightly judge. And so in essence, Jesus is saying don't have a, a judgmental heart, have a forgiving heart, and then when you judge, judge rightly. And so where we left off in this sermon was with that very point where Jesus was telling his disciples that in order to rightly judge another, they needed to judge themselves first so that they could see clearly to then go and judge others. And so how is it then that we rightly judge ourselves and judge others? Well, now in this series of illustrations, Jesus helps us to understand that today through speaking to us about a tree and its fruit. And so we're going to look at just a few verses this morning in hopes that we might better understand what it does indeed mean to rightly judge ourselves so that we then in turn can rightly judge others. And so out of reverence for God's word, if you're able, I want to invite you to stand as I read for us these verses, Luke 6, beginning in verse 43, this is what our Lord says. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You would pray with me. Father, we have already received a warning from your word this morning to, to not merely be hearers, but to also be doers. But it's entirely possible for us to not even be hearers. As we've already sang, it is possible because of our, our blindness to our sin, to, to not see, to not understand, to not hear your words. So I, I pray through the power of your spirit that you would enable us to hear your word today so that then through your power, the power of your spirit, we might do what your word calls us to do because we cannot truly see and hear and do apart from the work of the Holy Spirit bringing us to repentance, to faith, the trust in you to walk in your ways and not our own. So, so help us, Lord, I, I do pray as we walk through this passage. Help us to receive this, not as a, a list of things that we need to vow, not as a, a motivation to, to just try harder and to, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but, but Lord, help us to hear this 
humbly and graciously with a dependent heart on you and a trust in you and a hope in you and the power of the gospel to change us and to make us more and more like Jesus every day. So, Father, help us to hear this rightly and to do this rightly. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Just a couple months ago, over Christmas break, I was doing what perhaps many of you do, kind of flip through the channels that time of year and see what Christmas movies are on. And I came across The Wizard of Oz, which if you have not seen it, is not a Christmas movie, unless I've totally misunderstood it. Uh, but as soon as I flipped there, it, I kind of giggled to myself because uh, the, the Wizard of Oz was a, a starring movie for me as a child. Uh, I can remember watching it, and there was something about flying monkeys that terrified me. Because flying monkeys really should terrify all of us. And I remember as a kid just associating that movie, just being terrified of it. In fact, I don't know that I ever watched the whole movie through as a child because I couldn't get past the, the flying monkeys. Well, then, fast forward decades later, my family moves to Nelson County. Uh, our daughter, Vivian, uh, was involved in drama. She signs up for Stephen Foster's uh, summer performance, and she's in The Wizard of Oz. And so I watched Wizard of Oz many times with her and those performances many times and got over my fear of flying monkeys. But anyways, as I was flipping through and watching just a few scenes of it not long ago, I came to a scene that if you've seen it, you're familiar with, uh, towards the end of the movie where Dorothy and her companions finally arrive before the wizard. And as they're there before the wizard, you know that scene, it's this big, terrifying image on a, on a screen of some sort of the, the, the powerful wizard and this booming voice and, and loud and intimidating, and, and it's all rather horrifying to an extent until Dorothy's little dog kind of goes around the back and pulls back the curtain and exposes this, this little man uh, in a microphone pulling all these gadgets to, to give the appearance that he is this terrifying, imposing wizard when really he's just a little man. Yeah, it's quite comical at that point because uh, as this is going on, he's you know in this booming voice saying, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. But of course it's too late at that point. Uh, the man behind the curtain has been exposed for who he truly is. I thought about that in light of this passage this week, because in essence what Jesus is doing for us is he, he's really pulling back the curtain. And what he's doing in pulling back the curtain for us is helping us to pull back the curtain in our own lives so that, that we might see what's truly there. Because we are tempted in the faith often to, to present ourselves in such a, a way that we come across one way. As if we kind of got our act all together, as if we're much more mature in the faith sometimes than we are. We know to speak the spiritual language and to, to present ourselves a certain way. We, we can even do that not just with others, but with ourselves and, and fool ourselves into thinking we're something we're not. And what Jesus graciously is doing through this sermon is he's, he's pulling back the curtain and saying, see, this, this is who you truly are. So that we then might graciously go to others and kind of help pull back that curtain in their life too. Because it does us no good to pretend. And it does us no good to pretend about others. And in fact, it's, it's a rather grave and serious matter when what we're pretending relates to the eternal state of our soul. When we're pretending people are 
saved and redeemed when they truly aren't, when we're believing ourselves to be saved and redeemed when we truly aren't. And so better that curtain get pulled back today than in that day of judgment. And so what Christ is offering us is an opportunity to, to, to pull back that curtain, to, to be exposed in our own lives so that we then might not only rightly understand the state of our own soul, but then we might be able to pull back the curtain in the lives of others to rightly understand where they are. And so I want to walk through this passage and just make a few observations about it. It's a short passage. It's really just an illustration, but it really helps to bring home what we've covered so far in this chapter and seen in this sermon. And so the first observation is this. Point one there in your outline. We do what we do because we are what we are. We do what we do because we are what we are. Now, I've taken that statement actually out of a larger quotation by John Phillips. John Phillips has gone home to be with the Lord, but he wrote a number of very helpful commentaries on the Scripture. And in his commentary on this passage, he said this, We do what we do because we are what we are. The Lord, while expounding these obvious contrasts, puts an unerring finger on the crux of the matter. It is usually easy to tell what a person is like by listening to what he says. He will always, sooner or later, irrevocably betray himself. He will declare himself to be regenerate or unregenerate, spiritual or carnal, godly or worldly, clever or ignorant, wise or foolish, good or bad. You know, Philip's observation, it goes along with the point that Jesus is making here, that that the fruit truly does reveal the root, that, that we will reveal what's behind the curtain by our words and by our deeds. And this is so important because just like the, the point that we live in this culture that wants to say, judge not, along with that statement, they'll often say, you, you don't have the right to judge because you don't know what's really in a person's heart. And yet, what is Jesus saying here? <laughs> He's saying, you can know exactly what's in a person's heart. And you can know what's in your heart too. And and that statement that the culture makes, it is so deceiving. Because so many of us have bought into it. And so we walk around pretending that there's something better behind the curtain than there really is. And with this cultural idea that, well, who am I to judge? And Well, I know that's what they said, and I know that's what they did, but, but, but they're really a good person at heart. Friends, we need to listen to what God's Word says, and God's Word does not say that we are really good people in our hearts. God's Word says we are born with a sickness and and an evil desire in our hearts, that, that, that we are born unrighteous, not righteous that we are born inheriting the nature of our father Adam. The fall has infected all of us and that we are born in sin and that we need the redemptive work of the gospel of Jesus to save us and give us a new heart so that our heart might be his heart, that we have this new heart and this, this heart that wants to please God and wants to do good. Well, but we don't have that by nature. And so what Jesus is doing is he's pulling back this curtain to help us to see that that the fruit really does reveal the root. You want to know what's in a person's heart? Look at what they say. Look at how they act. Again, he says it this way, because no good tree bears bad fruit. 
Nor again does a, a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. You know, figs and grapes were two common things in Jesus' day. The people of Israel would know clearly when Jesus is saying this, the point he is making. You don't go to the, the thorn bush to gather figs. You don't go to the bramble bush to gather grapes because the type of tree yields a certain type of fruit. Therefore, you know the type of tree it is by the fruit that it produces. Not only that, you know how healthy the tree is by the fruit it produces. Unhealthy trees produce unhealthy fruits. Healthy trees produce healthy fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. Therefore, we realize that we're not going to get a fruit from a tree that has nothing to do with that fruit. There's no correlation. It doesn't work that way. Years ago, I was on a trip to West Africa with Chris Coulter, and, and during that trip with Chris being there, we were doing a lot of work with farmers, and I remember in one instance we were with a, a farmer in the market, and he was expressing to us one of the, the problems for many of these farmers in a very poor and impoverished area of the world is that they would travel uh, many times long distances into a city, a market, you know, once a week, once every few weeks, they would they would buy seed, and they would buy it simply based on what the seller said it was. And so the seller might say, well, this, this seed is lettuce. And so then they would take that seed back, and in a, in a very dry and barren land, in a harsh environment, they would go to great lengths to, to make this lettuce grow. Or, you know, I'm not a farmer. I don't even know if you get lettuce from seeds, but just go with me for a second. Do you get lettuce from seeds? All right. It was, that's what they said then. And so... The farmer expression, you know, he, he plant this seed, he cultivate this seed, he'd he water this seed, which again was just a, a long, terribly hard process in this environment. And then sometime later, as it began to grow, he would realize this isn't lettuce. <laughs> and it might be something totally useless to him. And they didn't know that until the, the fruit of that seed started to come up. And at that point, it, it was too late. They'd spent too much time investing in this to turn around and do something different. Just picking up that seed in the market for them, it didn't really tell them anything until it produced fruit. And the point of that being is that you don't, you don't get a, a carrot from lettuce seed. You know the seed, you know the root by the fruit that it produces. And so how does that relate to us? Well, it relates in this way, that when we know our heart by the fruit that our heart produces. We know the heart of another by the fruit that their life produces. We do what we do because we are what we are. It's not just a possibility to know a person's heart. It's the reality that we indeed do know their heart, and we know our heart by the fruit that we and they produce. And so if you want to know this morning how you are doing spiritually, look at the fruit of your life. And if you want to know if that friend, co-worker, family member who, who says they're a Christian, if they truly indeed are a Christian, you, you look at the fruit of their life. And the fruit is always telling. 
J.C. Ryle said it this way, let it be settled as a principle again in our religion that when a man's general conversation is ungodly, his heart is graceless and unconverted. Let us not give way to the vulgar notion that although men are living wickedly, that they have good hearts at the bottom. Such notions are flatly contradictory to our Lord's teaching. Is the general tone of a man's communication carnal, worldly, irreligious, godless, and profane? Then let us understand that this is the state of his heart. When a man's tongue is generally wrong, it is absurd, no less than unscriptural, to say that his heart is right. And so friends, the, the, the hard teaching of Jesus in this passage is this. It does us no good to say, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. But think of how often we say that. Our speech is, is filled with wickedness, and then we feel perhaps a, a sense of shame or conviction, and what do we say? Well, that, that's not really who I am. Our, our actions, they, they tell us who we really are. Now, again, does this mean that once a person is truly converted and truly becomes a believer, that, that all their fruit is consistently perfectly good? No. Because when we become a believer, we start a process of pruning a process of sanctification, a process of growing more and more like Jesus in our day-to-day -day lives. But we're going to sin, that the telling fruit is how we respond to that sin. And if our response to sin in the Christian life is to constantly pull that curtain and close that curtain and say, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, that's not really who I am. Don't worry about that. Let's move past it. That may be a clear indication that What's behind the curtain is not exactly what we think is behind the curtain. Because the mark of genuine belief and genuine repentance is brokenness. It's repentance. It's confession. It's, it's being honest about our sin. Remember, we talked about this last week. This starts with being, being honest about our sin and honest about the sin of others. And yes, our, our flesh... <laughs> It's going to want to pull that curtain back. Our, our flesh is going to want to be defensive. That's why usually our first response uh, when we do the wrong thing is to make excuses and to be defensive. But, but eventually the fruit of that needs to be genuine repentance and faith. And if that's never there, if there's never a mark of repentance in our life, then friends, that, that's the fruit of an unregenerate heart. But if you're sitting here this morning and you're hearing this and you're feeling conflicted because you're like, man, I've I, I heard the gospel and pastor, I, I believe the gospel, but I'm just, I'm struggling this morning. I, I don't know what to do. That's a good thing to be processing right now. I think that's the fruit of belief that you're processing right that right now. Because the fruit of unbelief this morning is the person who sits here and hears this and says, who are you to tell me how I'm to live my life? Oh, I guess you just got your act all together, don't you? I guess you just figured this all out and you're perfect. Well, that's, that's now how I am. Who, who are you to judge me? That, friends, I believe is, is the fruit so often uh, of an unbelief or, or at best a very carnal, immature belief that's not yet grown to that point of understanding what genuine repentance looks like in the day-to-day -day life. 
And so Jesus here, is, he graciously he's pulling back the curtain. He says, you, you know a tree by its fruit because what, what we do, what we say, that really reveals who we are. And then a second observation, point two, what we do, it reveals what we treasure. What we do reveals what we treasure. Verse 45, Jesus says, again, continuing with this illustration and kind of helping us to, to see it, he says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so all this language about what's in your heart and how's your heart, he, he really helps us to understand it here because he says the whole issue of the heart here is what are you treasuring? And that, that's a picture that we can understand because we all know what it is to treasure something, to, to value something, to, to really care for something. That there are some things that we don't treasure, where we don't care what happens to them. There are other things we care deeply about. So there are people in the world, a lot of them at this point, many who we don't know at all. But there are those we know and we love and we, we treasure, we prize them, we, we value them, we care for them. Jesus says here, look at what the heart treasures. And if the heart is treasuring good things, and I think the thing principally here that's good is the, the gospel of Jesus. If we're treasuring God and treasuring Christ and treasuring the church of Christ and treasuring the things of God and the word of God. If this is our treasure, then, then that reveals itself in the fruit of our lives. But if the things we treasure, he says here, if they're evil, then that's going to produce evil fruit. Because again, he, he makes the point clear. How do we know a person's heart? Look at what they say. <laughs> because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We, we see a clear picture of this as we look to what the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Galatians, don't we? Because all this can be rather vague unless we really sit down and look at what, what specifically are we talking about here? <laughs> you know, all this talk about tree and fruits and hearts, we can kind of keep it at bay and, and keep it vague if we want to, but, but God's Word, He gives us specifics. He takes the branch and he takes the fruit and he says, let me tell you exactly what I'm talking about. And so let's, let's look there. If you have your Bible with you, look at Galatians chapter 5. Because what we have here is a clear picture, I believe, of what Jesus is teaching us about. So how do we know what we treasure? We, we look at the fruit of our lives and the fruit of our lives reveals to us what it is we treasure. Somebody just read for us Galatians 5, beginning there in verse 16. Paul writes this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so he's giving us a contrast between the, the person, I believe here, whose, whose heart is redeemed, whose appetites are redeemed. Here are the, the, the desires of righteousness. Here's, here's the good root, the good tree, the good fruit compared to that which desires the world, the flesh, the carnal nature. So he says, walk by the Spirit, and you're not going to gratify those desires. And then he says, for the desires of the flesh, they're against the Spirit. They're opposed to one another. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other. 
to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And now he, he goes to the tree, he points to the fruit, he gets very specific. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. That these things categorically, they, they come down to the same thing. A rebellion against God's created nature for intimacy to exist in a covenant relationship between one man and one woman in marriage. And he says, you, you take that fruit away from that tree, and it's a whole different fruit from a different tree. And it's not just that it's falling off the branch here. It's not just that you went a little too far from God's design here. He's saying these things are fruit of the flesh. This is bad fruit. It's evidence of a bad tree. Good trees don't produce good fruit. So very specifically here, this is what he's saying. If you're in a relationship that is sexually immoral, impure, if your day-to-day behavior is marked by sensuality, that this can be in a relationship with another person, this can be you sitting in front of a computer screen. And if that is the fruit, if that is the evidence, you are not treasuring Christ, you are treasuring your flesh, because that's what you're feeding. That's what you're valuing, that's what you're prizing. You're actually moving the complete opposite direction. It's not that you're just kind of pausing and standing still, moving a little away. You are worshiping your flesh instead of treasuring and worshiping Christ. Now again, can a believer fall in these areas? Absolutely. But the mark of belief is repentance, is conviction of sin, is moving away from these things towards Jesus, not further and further and further into them, saying, leave me alone, mind your own business, let me keep the curtain closed. God in His grace opens up the curtain, He exposes what's in our heart. And he says that it's sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, then we need to repent. Idolatry, sorcery, that these things come down to, we have been called and created to worship God and God alone. And anything else we worship, anyone else we worship, anything in our life that takes the right place of God on the throne is idolatry. We're called to repent. This is bad fruit from a bad tree. And then he gets a whole list of things. Enmity, that this is hostility. This is when we are marked by a, a, an attitude where we're always adverse to everybody and everything. Jealousy, that this is a zeal and an energy that comes from a, 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 an overhealthy ego where we're just jealous of everyone and everything. There's rivalries, this self seeking motive, this opposition to others, envy. I mean, some people, that, that's what they're known by. That they're never content. They're never happy. They always want what someone else has. And if they get that thing, they're not pleased with that because now someone else has something they want. Strife. Being known as someone who just wants to pick fights and argue about everything. Fits of anger. I mean, do you find yourself at times just exploding and after you do saying, well, that's not who I really am. The dissensions, this is divisions between people, divisions, permanent 
just warring against one another. We talked about this a few weeks ago, how we live in this culture, in this context where we just write everybody off. Drunkenness, think you know what that one is. Carousing, those two words are really closely linked because that, that, that drunkenness then turns into not just hurting ourselves but wreaking havoc on everyone else. He, he says these things, if this is what our life is marked by, if this is what we're known by, if this is the, the overwhelming fruit, we're foolish to say the tree is anything other than what it is. Because the fruit reveals the root. I mean, imagine going to Lowe's this afternoon and walking up to the associate and saying, you know, I want to buy a donut tree today. And they say, sir, we don't sell donut trees. Now I want donuts. But anyways, we, we can sell you a, a pear tree. Great. I want the pear tree that grows donuts. Well, no, sir, this tree grows pears. It's pear tree. I mean, that's pretty obvious stuff. I don't know anything about pear trees, but I know that. Pear tree grows pears. That doesn't matter what you want it to grow or what you make believe it grows. We live in a confused culture that wants to look at a pear and say it's a donut. I mean, think about our culture today. That's exactly where our darkness and our hearts have taken us. We look at something. That's not what that is. It's this. Why? Because I want it to be this, or I believe it's this, or I feel like it's this. And Jesus says, no, pull the curtain back, friend. And look at the fruit. And it clearly reveals what the root is. We in the church are so prone to look out there at the world and say, well, look how confused they are and how dare they say this is that. But what are we doing? When our life is marked by these very things and we say we're something other than what the Scripture says we truly are. Verse 21. Curtains pulled back. I warn you as I warned you before. I mean, think the language there. I've told you this before. That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wait a second. That, that sounds like a, a salvation that's, that's earned or, or based on works. No. No, no. Our, our salvation then changes our heart that we then and might do these very things and our salvation is known by fruit. And he's saying, if your fruit is not the fruit of redemption, then friend, you're not redeemed. These fruits reveal the root and these fruits reveal the person who is not indeed saved. No matter how much they say they are. No matter how much we say they are. Remember, this, this is to look at our own hearts and then to look at the hearts of others. And friend, how often do we look at others and we do everything in the world we can do to convince ourselves they're saved when the fruit of their life screams that they're not? And we're holding on to, yeah, but when they were eight years old, they... And Jesus here, he says, pull, pull back the curtain. What do you see? What's the fruit reveal? Because this, this judgment of them, it's not that we condemn them. This judgment is to help us to better understand them so that we can graciously preach the truth to them. 
so that we might graciously speak the truth in love and help them to pull that curtain down so that they can see this fruit is indicative of a heart that's not genuinely saved. And so that God, by His grace, might bring them to faith. I walked the aisle of a Baptist church when I was eight years old. Maybe that's why I keep referring to that eight-year-old. <laughs> I went to a vacation Bible school at a church in my neighborhood. Uh, the pastor offered likely a very clear gospel presentation, but, but, but me, I, I just felt this pressure because all my friends were coming forward to go forward. And, and you know, heaven, that sounds good. God, that sounds good. I, I want to go to heaven. That sounds great. But, but, but I don't believe at that point I had any true, right understanding of the gospel. And, and that was marked by the fruit that followed in my life. And for the next decade of my life, between 8 and 18, there was, there was no fruit of redemption, of regeneration of the gospel that these very things that, that we've read, many of these, they, they were, that, that's the fruit of my life. And I'll tell you the most gracious conversation that I think I've ever had in my life was when a total stranger sat down with me as a freshman in college and exposed these very things. Because as soon as he started talking about the gospel, I said, yeah, I was eight years old. I got baptized. I'm good. And then he starts asking questions about the fruit. And he starts pointing to verses that say that the, the fruit, this, this is what this fruit reveals. And, and God in His grace used that conversation for the first time that I can look back and remember my life for me to start to feel a, a true conviction of sin. I start to realize, well, maybe just kind of going down an aisle and getting baptized when I was eight, maybe that wasn't what I thought it was. And then as my eyes began to open up and see and my ears began to listen, then God in His grace revealed to me that the truth of the gospel and I realized that I, I wasn't a Christian. And friends, I, I, I look back on that conversation, I thank God for sending me that total stranger to share the truth. It would have done me no good for them in that conversation when I said, oh yeah, I was baptized and I joined a church when I was eight years old, for them to just, okay, let me check it. Let me go talk to somebody else. You're good. Yeah, that's great. And, and that, that's our temptation. Because it, it's, it's hard to pull back the curtain. But thank God that somebody did that for me. As I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do, do such things won't, won't inherit the kingdom of God. So, so what does it look like then for us if we have inherited the kingdom? If we have truly repented? Because again, for some of us this morning, we're like, listen, I'm, I'm struggling here. Well, what's the fruit that, that marks genuine belief? Faithfulness? Gentleness? Self-control? I mean, the, the walk of faith begins with denying ourselves and humbling ourselves. It's a, it's a restraint over this fleshly desire for sin because now God's giving us a new heart and new appetites, but, but it takes time. <laughs> I mean, just real basic here, you, you, you may be going on a diet, and, and maybe your diet up to that point has been, you know, 
bowl of ice cream every night. I'm, you know, Jacob told me about this. I don't know anything about it, but you know, night one of the diet, you're gonna walk by that freezer and you're gonna think, yeah, no, tomorrow's a better day to start that diet. You know? And I eat a salad today. So there's probably an offset here. Your your appetite, you're gonna want that ice cream. And it's going to take a lot of days of walking past that freezer where maybe there's the temptations a little less. Now, ice cream, I think, is actually a, a righteous thing. So maybe that's a bad illustration. But but you get my point. Your, your appetite doesn't change in just a, a moment. The gospel changes us in the moment. That work of the Spirit and change your appetites, it, it takes time. And, and so we, we deny that, that fleshly appetite as we're now thirsting for something new and hungering for something new. And then, again, it produces all these things. Love, joy, peace. <laughs> these are empowered by the Holy Spirit that we find our, our joy in God and we have now peace with God. And because we have peace with God, we want to have peace with others because God is forgiven, we forgive. Because He loves, we love. Because He shows mercy, we show mercy. And then we see patience and kindness and goodness. Perhaps things that you never saw in your life before you truly came to faith. We're new people with new appetites, and we, we grow in these things, and they reveal what we treasure. And so what do you treasure today? What does the fruit of your life say that you treasure? What does the fruit of my life say that I treasure? And that's where I'll leave us today with that third point, which is really just a question. Is Jesus your treasure? When, when the curtain is pulled back, what's there? Because that's, that's the point of all this, friends. That's the point, I believe, of Jesus' sermon. Is he, he's speaking to those who have, who have called him Lord. And we know from the scripture that there were people in that moment who called Jesus Lord. And he wasn't really their Lord. And how do we know that? Because of the fruit of their lives. That becomes evident over time. And so he is lovingly, graciously speaking to those who have said, Oh yeah, you're Lord, we're following you. And he's saying, are you sure about that? Are you really treasuring me or do you just want my stuff? Huh. And that's what draws some of us here each Sunday. We, we just we want God's stuff. We want to answer to prayer. We want to get better. We want to feel better. And so we don't have anything to do with the church until crisis hits, and then we come back in. Then things get a little bit better. Then we're, why? Because that's what our true appetite is. Revealed by our fruit. I'll, I'll leave you with this. One more quote, I think, that's helpful as we process this. This one's by John Stott. He said this. The first great secret of holiness lies in the degree and the decisiveness of our repentance if besetting sins persistently plague us, it's either because we've never truly repented or because having repented, we've not maintained our repentance. It is as if, having nailed our old nature to the cross, we keep wistfully returning to the scene of its execution. We long for its release. We even try to take it down again from the cross. We need to learn to leave it there. 
When some jealous or proud or malicious or impure thought invades our mind, we must kick it out at once. It is fatal to begin to examine it and consider whether we're going to give into it or not. We've declared war on it. We're not going to resume negotiations. We've settled the issue for good. We're not going to reopen it. We have crucified the flesh. We're never going to draw out the nails. Is that your heart's desire this morning because your, your treasure is Christ? Or, or do you still find yourself longing for, wanting, and just investing and treasuring these things of the flesh and, and trying to pull the curtain, trying to fool everybody? Friends, you can fool us, but you can't. God. And so his invitation this morning is to come. <laughs> to trust in him, to trust in the power of the gospel. And if you find that you're not treasuring Christ, you can treasure Christ by responding to him in repentance and faith. And so that is for us to consider now as we have this time of response. Let me pray for us. And then we'll respond together. If you would stand as I pray.